Hello everyone, welcome to our second episode of Public Discourse. My name again is here Sancho, we're here with Ricardo and Audrey, and we actually have our very first special guest today. We have our first ever special guest, his name is Revelation Brown, he's a really good friend of mine, we go way back, we're recording this podcast on August 22, 2020, and we met around August as well. I remember in 2011, so we've been friends for nine years now. It's been crazy. And we, a really good friend of mine, we started the debate organization together at Northern Virginia Community College when we also worked together at the provost's office. He's a really, really intelligent, smart man. And I would like him to tell you more about himself. Uh, here's Mr. Revelation Brown. Thanks, Sancho, and thank the other co-hosts for welcoming me to the podcast. Um, in short, per- I guess from a personal standpoint, I've grown up in the metropolitan area. So I literally lived in D.C., Virginia, and now Maryland. So I'm truly a DMV uh, person, I should say. Uh, I graduated from George Mason and double majored in accounting and ITOM. And for the, in terms of professionally, I'm an accountant and specifically I audit. I've been auditing for the last five years, but most importantly, I'm excited to be on this podcast. And yeah, it's my first time on the podcast, so it should be fun. All right, thanks a lot, Rev. I really appreciate it. So it's today, so I want everyone to relax. We're gonna have a public discourse, a really good conversation. Uh, we call our podcast public discourse because it's public. We're putting this in the world wide web of the internet and discourse meaning just an exchange of ideas. We are doing this so we can share our whole ideas about the world and we're gonna talk about a lot of things from current event and politics and every episode we're gonna have a new certain topic. So today the topic actually was initiated by our co-host Ricardo Chavez and I would like to introduce him and he's going to start talking about the start of the topic for the second episode of Public Discourse. Hi everyone, it's Ricardo here. Uh, It's good to be back. Definitely looking forward to this topic uh, that we're going to bring up. So what we're going to talk about and I I, I guess the broad scope of the subject is going to be race and race relations in, in the United States. Um, the reason why I thought about this, especially recently, were two things. One, um, everyone here at this point have heard about the George Floyd situation. Uh, for anyone who's listening to this in the future and isn't aware of this, uh, an African-American man was uh, killed while uh, on a routine, I'm not going to say a routine traffic stop, but he was killed by police, um, specifically a man who uh, kneeled on his neck for nine minutes while uh, the public looked on and yelled at the guy to get off. And uh, anyone who saw the video brought chills to their body because they saw a man get killed in front of them and what everyone, and I seriously can't think of anyone who would disagree in what was completely needless action on the part of the police officer. As a result of it, it sparked, um, it sparked a, uh, sparked something within the African-American community to speak out and to really try to push for reformation of laws in the United States to really, really uh, try to reduce the number of uh, uh, casualties when police officers engage, especially with African-American people. Um, And so recently we saw, or recently I had heard about the George Floyd 
uh, I had heard of additional footage that came from the body cam of one of the officers involved in uh, George Floyd's uh, death. And this footage showed the interaction from its inception all the way um, until after he passed away. And there was footage, and this is where I stopped it, there was footage of the officer trying to resuscitate uh, George Floyd when he was in the ambulance. So that's where that's about where I stopped it, because I think for the purposes of this conversation, I think that's what I needed to see. And uh, the second thing that came up is Sancho, me and Sancho, we were talking and he mentioned a, a report. And this was a local report. This wasn't this didn't garner any national media attention. But in this in this uh, report or in this uh, in the news, this uh, young white uh male i think he was in i think he was four or five i don't think he was older than 10 and uh he was killed by a black man because and this is according to the reports that we don't have much details and i think this is the unfortunate part of this not gaining as much media coverage uh for essentially no reason that's what the family of the uh of the uh, slain boy said and the man in question who was arrested um i didn't i wasn't able to read any comments on his part and uh one of the things that kind of came up is uh, this is awful, and we were kind of wondering why this didn't garner national attention in a similar way to the George Floyd instance. And so that brought up the second part of this conversation, which is our media's involvement in race relations and how it affects uh, how it affects uh, you know interactions between black and white people, white and black people, um, etc. So I want to open up the uh, I want to open up the the podcast to this. I well, first I want to state my opinion of the George Floyd footage, and then I want to open it up to you guys to give your opinion. So I saw the George Floyd. Uh, I did see his his the original uh, footage of him dying, and it was as awful as I thought it would be, which is why I avoided watching it for as long as I did. And I went into the uh, body cam footage thinking that my mind would be changed, that maybe. There was more to the story and that, uh, you know, maybe there was a lot of emotional. And I, I still believe that the, uh, the the spark to call for reformation of our laws was still a good thing. I think it does more. I think it benefits more people than it doesn't. So it's hard to say that that was bad. But I'm wondering if um, maybe there's more to the story. And I've watched it and I don't think my mind changed in any manner. Um, when the whole when George Floyd was at its height. And it was reported everywhere. I, I was of the opinion that these cops weren't racist, but these were awful cops. And I watched the footage, and I still hold that belief that these cops were. You could clearly tell that this guy was afraid for his life. Um, even from the beginning of the body cam footage, he was begging not to be shot. He was. Um, you could tell he was very, very afraid of his, of what was going to happen with these cops. And so, to me, it seemed again especially from the second angle uh, or from this second footage that these police officers, the issue with my issue with them was that they didn't have the patience that I believe was necessary to deal with this situation. I do think they had a lot of patience for what happened. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, if you watch the video uh, and half, I think it's about a 30 minute video and half of it is them really trying to work with them, but you can tell that they lose patience very quickly. And one of the things, and this is what I have a problem with, and I, I, uh, I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on this, but one of the first things that happened was the police officer knocks on his door and then he pulls out his gun and points it at George Floyd's face. I 
George Floyd, as we know, he was um, under the influence of fentanyl, and he may have been drinking. He he was he had some things in his system, and I do think that affected his judgment. But I can't imagine anyone who would react rationally when a gun gets pointed into their face, not even thirty seconds into an interaction with police officers. And he had and he was a man who had been shot previously, which further adds to why he was so afraid of what was going to happen next. So to kind of sum everything up, my mind didn't change. I still think these officers were bad, but I have a hard time uh, making a connection between whether these cops were racist and whether or it was just bad cops who didn't do their job correctly and they should still go to jail for that. So I want to open up to uh, I want to open up to you, Sancho. I want to see what you think about it. And uh, then I want to hear Audrey and then I want to wrap it up with Rev's thoughts. All right, I just start talking. Now it's back to me again. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, you said I'm really surprised. Like you seem to have really good passion towards this issue, and a lot of the things that I was thinking of saying, like you already mentioned, that you know, like one of the things I have open is the toxology report, where you had fentanyl and methamphetamine, even as cannabis. And mm-hmm. but on the day uh, when I first, I'm just gonna go through my history towards it. When I first saw the video, I was, of course, I was outraged. This is the initial video I actually saw on in Instagram uh, of Derek Chauvin, like, kneeling on George Floyd for eight minutes. I was like, why? You know, why would you do that? What, what, you know what I mean? Like, just, mm-hmm. and there's people, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you're killing a human being for what? And, but then again, my second thought was, you know, like, okay, re- relax with your emotions, Sancho. There might be more to this. What is the context behind this? You know, because that seems to be the big problem with our world right now, with especially the U.S., you know, the society. A lot of things are taken out of context. Media is going to report something, but, you know, like what's really happened, you know, particularly with their president, they would take clips about him. But, you know, I would just watch, I would rather just watch the raw footage to see what's really happening without the media agenda. But anyway, so after that, and I, I was... You know, when this body cam showed up, you know, I, I start watching it. You know, I watched a 10-minute version of it, and then I Googled another one. There's, like, a 30-minute version. That's the one we, we all watch, and I send it to you. And, yeah, that was the first thing I thought. Same with you, Ricardo. Why is he pulling a gun? Like, what? you know what I mean? Like, why is there a gun? Is there a gun? Like, you know, he was, the video started. He was driving. He went to the store. They said, oh, there's, like, a, a you know, like, uh, counterfeit money and then he pulled out a gun and then he opened the door and George Floyd's like don't shoot me don't shoot me like of course you know and then apparently you know they tried to arrest him you know they tried to to take him by force and there's a lot of bystanders and everything and he was you know he was being a pain in the ass I mean the, like now I know it seems like I didn't know about the toxology report when I watched the video but there's something off with him and it seems that he is you know like my first reaction was you know, which might be a combination of both with the drugs in his system, is he's been in trouble with the law so much that he got traumatized with it. Mm. You know, like he said, I'm not that kind of person, you know, don't shoot me, I'm not kind of kind of person. So he was, you know, I'm, I'm claustrophobic, you know, he wasn't, he was a, be, you know, if you're like a server, you have like a, you know, I was a server before and you have a, you have a really difficult customer. That's, that's kind of how I see it. You have a difficult client for us accountants, you know, so he's, she, he is being difficult. And then eventually, you know, like the guy, you know, like even as a, I always look at as a server, I'm, you know, uh, 
he doesn't know what to do. Like he's trying to put him in the car, but he doesn't want to go into the car. And here what blows my mind is he was already in the car. All they got to do is like close the door and go mm-hmm. ahead, right? But when he was inside the car, they pulled him out. And then that's when Derek Chauvin's come in, you know, like the guy who killed him and basically put him on the ground and kneeled on him. And the guy who had the body cam, I think the main officer, he yeah. told him, oh, thanks, man. thank you. Like he was saying, thank you. Because like, I think in his perspective, like I, I don't know what to do. I'm All I'm doing is I got a call. I'm responding to it. I'm trying to deal with it as much as I can. But it's it's difficult. I don't know what to do with it. And another guy come in and took takes care of it, and he's thankful. Like you know, I mean, like going back to my server analogy, I have difficult customers, and a former server who's more experienced than me comes in and deals with those customers. I'll be thankful for that. You know, mm-hmm. that happened in my server. You know, a couple year server career where I had customers I just needed help to deal with. So you know, so that seems to be the situation there. And then he kneeled on him, and the rest is history. He died. And then they bought him, the, you know, the, uh, the rest of the station, like he was trying to, to heal him. So it seems like in his perspective, that's why I like the body cam, because it shows his perspective. He just didn't know what to do. He seems like inexperienced, mm-hmm. not trained. You know, it's probably a newer cop. And then Chauvin, to the rescue, killed him. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not as, I'm not a cop. I don't really know. I don't really have a friend who's a cop. And I don't know their SOP, what is their training, you know, they should have like uh, trainings with that. And then another thing I thought later on, as I think about this, what if George Floyd is white? You know what I mean? Like, is there, is that going to be like, are they going to treat him differently? And I don't know about it. Like the racism thing you're talking about, like we will never know until uh, Derek Chauvin, you know, we can read his mind. Like mm-hmm. and then there's some reports also that he has personal beef with Floyd. That's why he was doing it. But the bottom line is it was handled poorly. It was super wrong. He didn't have to die. You know, like it, it's not a self-defense. You know, like it's it definitely at least homicide, uh, murder. You know, requires premeditation. You know, but it is it is something that's that is really unfortunate and it spilled the. Uh, you know, and now backing, you know, that's why I didn't, I can't really speak about the next part that about my question is, there's a lot of protests that spark, and it's not this particular case, you know, as the NBA players in the back of their jersey, you know, how many more, you know, how exactly. many more, so it's like, it seems, this seems to be happening a lot in African American community, and I'm not African American, I'm not part of that community, so I can't speak for that, you know, so, and also, you know, I... Is this also happening more in white communities or like Asian communities? Like, are are the cops particularly targeting African Americans, or they have a different perceptions for them? Like, you know, like he he pulled up the gun as soon as possible. Like, mm-hmm. if that's me, let's say I'm the one who did the counterfeit bill, I don't think he's gonna pull a gun on me. You know, it's like some Asian guy. You know, I'm not. You know, it's probably not as dangerous. You know, so they're probably not gonna. Like, I've had dealings with uh, police before, and they didn't pull a gun on me. You know, we had conversations with them. So, right. you know, is it because I'm not black? You know what I mean? Like, I will never know. But that's kind of how I see it. It seems like this, are, this, I know, and I'm really happy that the full context is shown. I hope it garners more media attention. Like, you know, more people would w- watch the whole video. Like, it is a bad situation. And like what you said, the out, outcry after that is something that is really, I think, warranted. Because because of the how many more, it's not just because of this situation, but you know, like it seems like to be something happening uh, over and over and over and over again with African Americans. And 
you know, and I think at the end of the day, it's less of a government solution. It's it's more of a changing of heart solution by the populace. You know, mm-hmm. let's say Derek Chauvin or like other people who have a racist heart who always always thought that African-Americans are lesser human beings. Hopefully with this, instead of responding with hate with the current movement, they would realize that I'm wrong. Like they see, look, this this riots, this protests are happening for a reason. They're not doing this just because, you know, they're risking their lives during a pandemic for a reason, not just because they're bandwagoning. I mean, mm-hmm. I hope people will realize that because there's always people asking me, like, are there racist laws right now? Tell me a racist law. You know, when civil rights act is back, passed, a lot of those racist laws has been extinguished in our system, you know, in our society. So I think it's less of a government or law issue, and it's more of a human mentality belief principle issue you know so that's kind of how i see it and you know with that with the george floyd situation your question ricardo whether is it a racism thing like the fact of the matter is george floyd is black i think that's like the bottom line we will never know what is in Derek chauvin's head and all we know is a black guy was killed unnecessarily like mm-hmm. i could think so many ways where they could have just you know, like like I said, if they just close the door and go for it, that's it. They don't have to put him on the ground, you know, because he was already in the car. You know, like yeah, yeah. Like he keeps saying I'm claustrophobic, blah blah blah. Like he keeps, you know, he keeps complaining, yeah. he keeps yapping. Like let him yap, close the door and drive away. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, but that's kind of how I see it, and I think this is like a wake up call for me as well, like being a minority but not African American. Like I don't like I feel like I'm in this spectator view. You know, we're like, yeah, it's, it's like, and, and at the end of the day, it's really history. You know, just the fact that African-Americans used to be slaves of Caucasians. You know, I think that's the bottom line with that. They have that history. And mm-hmm. as an Asian, like, you know, as a Filipino, we have history too, but we were never slaves. Like, when we first came into the United States, we didn't have the rights of, like, white people. Like, I know someone who, you know, I, I did a lot of research in it with my own, you know, Filipino heritage. They, they, you know, somebody would go to law school, but they can't be a lawyer because they're not white. You know, right. there's laws like that in this in the past. Like I said, I feel like a lot of those laws have been extinguished. And if there are still some there, we should get rid of them, you know. But yes, an Asian American now. Oh, wow. American. Yeah, but Asian, they're getting my citizenship recently. You know, I feel like this is, this is kind of like how I see it. And at the end of the day, the call to action, the action item is just to promote dialogue, which is what we're doing with this podcast, with the public discourse, promote discourse, and basically, you know, provide input. Because another thing that I'm seeing with this is uh, I've been, I have friends from both sides, I have friends who are, you know, who are more like liberal, more friends, more conservative, you know, and they all have opinions that have always, I'm like their friend, I'm getting all of this because I consider myself as an independent moderate that I'm not really in either team. And when I would get their info, even like, let's say the conservatives will say it's not racism. They make sense. What they're saying makes sense. They, you know, in the, look, if you look at it in the math problem, they have the correct formula. They have the correct solution, right? And they have the correct answers. If you look at it, if you're a teacher, you're checking their, their, their solution, their answer. It's correct. It's rational. But the question, the issue is they lack given, which is perspective. Like in my world, as a Caucasian living in my Caucasian bubble with my friends, having no black friends or minorities, not being exposed to those people, sense my conclusion makes sense. But 
because I'm not exposed to, you know, I don't know George Floyd's life. I'm not exposed to more uh, cultural paradigms. I'm coming with a kind of basically a incomplete conclusion. And I think that's where a lot of the the divisiveness is coming from. It's just incomplete given, incomplete perspectives from different types of people, from different yeah, cultures and um, of life. Sorry to interrupt, but there, yes, there are a couple sir. things. There's a couple things there that you brought up. So, um, a couple things I'm definitely gonna want to talk about it later. Um, but I want to move on to Audrey and, and to Rev. But um, a few things there, because uh, there was something I wanted to bring up towards. I want to say towards the latter half of the uh, podcast. But you say you mentioned that uh, some people don't have the given, aka the perspective. I have a friend who is like that, and uh, I want you. And I want us to kind of talk about this later. But to bring that up now. We were having a debate, and this was around the time that uh, uh, Donald Trump was going to be elected, and it, we, it, it turned in, it devolved, I won't say it devolved, but it, it uh, turned into a uh, discussion on race, and his exact words were, I don't think it's that bad to be black. I just don't think it's that bad, and um, at that point, I in my head, I sit there, I heard that, and I was like, you're not wrong, but that viewpoint is from somebody who has grown up in a, a upper i'm not gonna say upper but a middle class to upper middle class area who has been exposed to upper middle class people you don't have this perspective from everyone else so you really can't say that with that level of confidence especially at and when, when did trump get voted in uh so how old were we what we were in our early 20s at this point so i was 23 24 so as somebody who's like 24 or however old we were at that point it's hard to say this, and it is harsh to say this, but your perspective isn't that – it's hard to say your perspective is that developed. So it's – it's I I, I kind of just dismissed his point, and I want us to talk about that at some point later. But, um, Audrey, what did you what did you think about um, this whole George Floyd uh, situation, this body cam footage that we talked about? Did you have any other uh, any other things you wanted to add or? Um, yeah, um, I agree with Sancho when he says that it's a wake up call. It's been it was a wake up call for everyone, I think, um, and it really made us all think about different issues. Um, you know, police brutality, institutional racism, uh, mass incarceration, all these things that are very deeply rooted in our society, basically. Um, and to talk about the aspect of police brutality. Um, if I compare it with France, obviously I'm going to compare it to France. Um, mm. I feel like there is a big difference um, in the way that the police is trained to deal with certain situations. I mean, as Sancho said, like, why would you pull out a gun when your life isn't directly threatened? Or why would you kneel on someone's neck when the, that person is handcuffed, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, this doesn't have to do directly with um, George Floyd, but, you know, an example is that in France, 50% of police officers have a firearm. Um, mm. And I believe that here, um, every all uh, law enforcement official, uh, officials have a firearm. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not always necessary, you know, when you're a police officer, you're not always ready to pull out your gun and, you know, save someone from a situation, or there's no need for that kind of of you know, authority, I would think, for some kinds of situation. Um, and actually, what's interesting is that um, this event also sparked 
um, outrage in France, um, police brutality isn't as isn't a a big topic in France, um, but obviously it does happen. I think it happens in every country. I think it happens everywhere. Um, but it does seem that this is something that happens so often in the United States. I mean, how many times, countless times, we've seen videos, awful videos of police brutality. Um, and it's something to think about, you know, why? I think it's a problem that's deeply rooted in how the police is trained or um, you know, there's mm-hmm. ways to handle situations that are that don't require firearms or any kind of violence. Um, mm-hmm. Police is there to protect citizens. You know, that's their job. They're not there to be, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. Like that's not their job. Um, so I think that that's a very big issue that needs to be dealt with, definitely. I want um, to. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to play devil's advocate for a bit um, before I, before we segue to Rev's thoughts. And I want you guys to think about this um, as Rev speaks. So two things. Uh, we, we talk about why did he bring up, why did he have to pull out the gun? Um, one of the things that he said when he was speaking to one of his fellow officers was, I couldn't see where his other hand was going. So he wasn't list, he wasn't complying and I couldn't see where his other hand was. So to me, I can understand. So that's that's one point and I, I and in that i want to add we also don't know this cops's experience because he could have been in a in what was essentially a very a very similar situation like that previously that got way more out of hand uh on the hand of the on the side of the uh person they were trying to apprehend they he could have gotten shot at for all we know he could he could have been traumatized in his own way which resulted in his overreaction and the overreaction by everyone else so does that does that matter to you guys when you hear that, or um, do you still think? I, in my head, I, I don't know that I I don't know that I I will argue that his reaction was an overreaction, but when I hear that he didn't know where the other guy's hand was, I do think that that's something worth considering um, yeah. because he can be dangerous. I mean, I we have heard situ- or I have heard stories of cops being killed on routine traffic stops, and it's yeah. a very it's a very real fear of theirs, and it's something I don't think people think about but uh rev i want to hear your thoughts on this whole matter um now that you've had some time to kind of hear us what did you think or what do you have to say yeah so i agree with with everything that has been said um in terms of the raw footage i do uh to sancho's point i like the fact that and I, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about it when we talk about the role of media in terms of how we view race relations but i did like the fact that we were able to see the raw footage um in its raw form, right? So um, there was no snippets, there was no manipulation. You, you could see it for what it was worth. So I agree with that. Um, I think there is something to be said about the ending of the footage in terms of uh, him being resuscitated or attempting to be resuscitated. I think that was a pretty vivid. And I, if I was his son, I probably wouldn't have wanted that to be on YouTube. But um, mm-hmm. needless to say, we have the footage. The footage is out. Um, in terms of my raw reaction, so this is the first time that I actually watched the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have so previous to this, I did re- hear about it, I read articles about it, but I intentionally did not watch the video uh, until this point. Sure. So um, I thought that it was interesting, Ricardo, to your point that he mentioned he, he didn't want to, he said, please don't shoot me. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
and then there was um, he had also said that. And so this is what I quote, actually, he says, uh, tell my kids I love them. I'm dead. I can't breathe. I'll probably just die this way. So. It was almost as if it was a nightmare. It was almost as if he had foreshadowed his death. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a couple of things that come to mind when I think about that. One, the lack of value for his life that those officers displayed is pretty concerning to me. Irrespective of the color of his skin or their years of experience, I think that at the end of the day, you would expect humans to have an equal value to someone else's life. I didn't see that in that video. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, the officer Lane that you all are talking about that pulled out the gun, my understanding is that was his fourth day on the job. So, got it. Rookie is an understatement. Um, and so, then that should be considered, right? I mean, granted, traffic stops mm-hmm. are probably the most challenging for the police police officers, as I understand, because you really don't know what you're going to get into. Um, and so, there's something to be said about having a veteran police officer. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the veteran police officer was the one that essentially uh, is being charged with murder. So um, in terms of lack of de-escalation, I, I didn't see that happen. Uh, I think that that should be a required um, as a part of their training. Mm-hmm. They should be required to de-escalate situations. I agree. Um, duty to intervene uh, throughout the course of the video. You saw Officer Lane ask the the, the veteran officer, hey, should we like lift this guy up? Should we reposition him? And the veteran officer said no. So that tells me right there that the officer was attempting to intervene a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But but the the veteran officer just said no, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's something to be said about the duty to intervene. And and I'm hopeful that that the police department We'll, we'll look into their policies on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah, so if I had to reiterate it, it's this lack of regard to human life. Yeah. Um, you know, really questions who we put in charge of policing our communities. Mm-hmm. To Audrey's point, you know, I think we've normalized po- uh, the things that we've allowed to take place in terms of policing. We need to really revisit that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's my feedback. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point um, on everyone's perspective. I, I want to, this is something I want to bring up in terms of the empathy, or not empathy, uh, but the disregard for, uh, let's say, his George Floyd's life and the lack of empathy. Um, there was a point in the raw footage uh, when George uh, the uh, George Floyd was dying where he begged for his life. He quite literally begged for his life. And that... That really bothered me because, and Audrey, you're not you're not a guy, so this may not be something that you probably thought about as much. But and I don't know if you, Rev or Sancho, have thought about this much. But I wonder if you guys will understand where I'm coming from with this. But I think for me personally, and I wonder uh, a man's biggest fear, not biggest, but one of his biggest fears is having to beg another man for his life, is having to be put in a position where his life is in the hands of another human being. Or another man, and that that to me was was uh, it was hard to watch because I put myself I didn't put myself necessarily in that position, but I thought to myself I hope to God that I never have to be put in a position where I, I literally because he that's what he was doing he was literally begging for his life, 
Um, and I hope, and I would hope that I would never have to be put in that position. But I wondered if, if that was, did you guys kind of pick up on that or what do you guys think about that? It's just a little side note, I, you know, just, just, I don't know, something I kind of picked up and kind of, I kind of thought about just now. Whoever wants to go first. Santo, uh, go first. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, Rev, Rev, go ahead. Rev, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's, it was, I did notice that too. I mean, like I said, I think he pleaded. He pleaded several times. Pleaded, yeah. Don't Why shoot me. Like, don't mm-hmm. kill me. Granted, he wasn't shot, but um, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine myself having to beg for my life. I mean, yeah, it's a very, um, it's crazy. Yes, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a something I've never had to deal with, and something I'd hope I never would have to. Um, yeah. So on that level, I can really empathize, and I really uh, was scared for him when I was when I was watching the video, even though I knew I would end it. It was something that really just shook me in, in watching that. Yeah, it brings up the, the question of, you know, being afraid of the police. Um, mm-hmm. You're supposed to trust the police. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. why they're there. They're supposed to protect you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're at that point where you see a police officer and you get nervous, that means that there's something wrong. There's something wrong, yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had situations where um, I remember I got pu- I've gotten pulled over and... Uh, the way this ended was I was actually misidentified. The person thought I was somebody, they were looking for somebody else and misidentified me as the driver and the car that I was driving in. So it was fine. It was, in fact, the guy didn't even come to my window. He was like, I'm sorry, I got the totally wrong person. And then he bounced. But uh, I was, uh, I was driving late at night at that point. And I was like cold. I, I got, I had, I had so much fear in me. And it's interesting because my personal interaction with any cop has never been one that should have brought about that reaction at that point i've never had a bad reaction with any cop ever and uh yet i still have that level of fear that something could go wrong and and audrey i think that's a good point we have we have a fear well there are people i'm not gonna say we but there are people who have this fear of cops and i wonder how much of that how much of that is on the onus of the police officers or how much is that on the person? Because my fear is that fear that I had that night was my own and it was irrational. I would make that argument. There was no point to be fearful because I hadn't done anything wrong and I also hadn't had a bad interaction with cops. But the fear was still there. So I wonder what you guys think about that. If if, if you fear a cop, how much of that how much of that do you think is brought on by the media and how much of that do you think is actually brought on by your personal interaction with police officers? If you guys have had any interaction with police officers. Yeah, uh, for me, I mean, I've, you know, as an immigrant, you know, we talked about immigration our last uh, podcast. It was different because the way cops are viewed in the Philippines, at least back in my day before the Duterte's make them killing machines. Uh, I had, uh, I mean, it, it was different. Like they, they seen us weak and easy, easy to be bribed. And they're like, they're not as... Like we always look at, we always look at you American cops actually as the cops we wanted to have, because we wanted cops who had like, because the issue with the Philippines is there's no enforcement of law, that cops are easily, you know, easily, you know, we can, we're not scared of them. We can, it's easily we can do whatever we want. We can just keep breaking the law and there's no consequence, you know. But I think that changed now with you know the third there, you know, having cops uh, kill a lot of people with drug-related charges and other things but yeah but then i also i didn't really have a fear of cops even here so when 
I've had multiple interactions with police here and I've always seen them as public servants and not that they're going to kill me or anything, you know. And I was and I think it's very different. And another thing I want to add to this podcast is like I've always thought about it since I was a kid. Like one of the jobs I would never want to do is be a cop, be a yeah. police officer. Like I feel like it's even worse with uh, being a military marine or something because if you're in war, military, like you know you're good to kill anyone. Like you know what I mean? Like you're in a war, your your job is to kill the enemy. And as a cop, it's not that simple. You know, like you have a gun, like you know this guy can kill you anytime, but you might you're going to do your best not to kill this person. You know what I mean? There's always that big conundrum in your head all the time because like if I don't pull my gun and kill this person, I might not uh I might be I might be dead. But then again, if you go too much the other way, you ended up killing someone who's innocent. And actually, I just remembered, I want to reiterate what I said earlier. My uncle is actually a cop. So I have an uncle who, from L.A. He's a, he's a metro police. And we had a lot of conversations, you know, about him being a cop. You know, a lot of his uh, experiences. And he had to pull a gun multiple times, you know, with his... Because he, he might fear his life is going to be in the line. And he always tell me, oh, thank God I didn't have to pull the trigger. Because my uncle is also an uh, Olympic medalist, like he he does Olympics for shooting, so he's a sharp shooter, like he can shoot, you know. So you know, so he I asked him like, have you killed anyone? And he said, oh, thank God, not yet. But there's like multiple close calls, where like someone's about to pull something, and they pull really quick, and he has you know one pull of his trigger, he killed the guy, you know. But then you know he he didn't have to escalate that situation, or he said in his training he had to shoot them in the knee or in the leg. You know, but it is a very difficult job. Like, I mean, we're all we all have our jobs. I think most of us are accountants, and you know, like we we wake up, we get log in the computer, log into Intact, QuickBooks, start working. You know, doing our tax software. You know, Revy start auditing the government. You know, and that's our job. And and then I would look at their salary, and we're actually paid more than the the police officers who are going out there every day risking their life. You know, and it is it is a really like. Like, don't get me wrong, they still have to be held accountable and it's in our perspective as the citizens. But it is an extremely difficult job. And I've always thought about that since I was a kid. And that, that's what I always thought of. Like, you know, yeah. when I was a kid, you know, playing with army games and everything. Like, I would rather be in the military because I know I have license to shoot. But if I'm a police officer, like, who do I shoot? Who do I not shoot? What do I do? You know, so mm-hmm. that that's and like you said, Rev, uh, it's his fourth day in the job. That's that's it. It it seems like it. Like it like his vibe gave me like a a new server vibe. You know, mm-hmm. like new person vibe, and, and it makes sense now. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe maybe one thing I really want to get into this episode is with the African American thing. You know, so maybe Rev, you can talk more about it. Like, is there a proportionate disadvantage for african-americans like you know they're being targeted more by cops they treat you know is there a trend for this where like you know african-americans are because it seems like that's what i've been hearing but is it you know is it is it like is it really a thing and it it, and if yes why is it because of the slavery thing you know like what is you know i mean is that a legitimate uh issue with having uh cops being you know like the police system here in the united states being biased towards African Americans. I think that's a good question. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily look this up per se, but I think generally what I what I think is um, 
you know, people say that po- that African-American communities are more policed than other communities, right? And so if you take that for what it's worth, chances are we will get pulled over more. We will be uh, perhaps uh, incarcerated more, charged with more crimes, simply because I don't want to use the word targeted, but if your community is being policed more than other communities, it's kind of like putting a ticket in your community. If if you have more cameras in your community, chances are you're going to get more tickets, right? It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I would say I would definitely think that think about that. Um, the other thing is sometimes I think that we are assumed guilty of charge um, by police officers. Um, you know, I think that to a certain extent, through media and whatever the case may be. Uh, people are fearful of black uh, African-Americans, especially tall, athletic African-Americans who may or may not be on drugs, right? I mean, if you look at George Floyd, he has a very built stature, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And he's, apparently he's on drugs. So, I mean, um, they, his stature and probably his odd behaviors was also at play, um, not just his skin color, but I think just his stature and, again, him being um, under the influence. But for me, there I have been pulled over um, because I, quote unquote, met the description. That's another thing. You know, we're more likely to be pulled over because we meet the description of a suspect, right? So kind of like to Ricardo's point, he, he was misidentified, right? You as a Filipino, you, you probably won't have that experience. Uh, generally speaking. So you got to look at that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it's it's perspective. People would probably think we're innately violent um, and our communities are more policed than others. So it doesn't create a, a great equation for us. Yeah, I want to I wanna add to Rev's point there. Um, and that's why I wanted to talk about the media, um, their involvement in race relations. So First, one of the things you asked, Sancho, was um, are black, essentially your question was, are black people policed more or at a disproportionate rate? Um, I don't, I, I, and I wish I had them at this point, but statistics seem to imply that that is the case, that black people are policed at a higher rate. They also go to jail uh, for more time based on the same amount of crime, any exact crime, no such, all things being equal, black guy versus white person, black, black guy's going to jail for a longer time. Um, and I, so the, the, that, that seems to be, uh, the indication. And then I would, I would ask for you to look up the, uh, it was in New York and I'm not going to say it, the, uh, the, uh, stop and frisk law that, that was statistically found to have disproportionately affected black and Spanish people. Um, so you can see that as a case right then and there. And then it was later on, it was said to be a, a policy that was racist in the office and the mayor at that point has apologized for that for for enforcing that um so we see that we see that this is something that uh has happened in black community now this is now as to why it is i you know you'd have to ask a historian that but i would um i'd put the argument that that i would definitely believe the media is heavily involved in that and the reason why i would say this is because black dysfunction has been normalized in the media um, I cannot, I literally, as I'm saying this, I literally cannot think of very many movies, TV shows, um, 
where black dysfunction isn't like the standard. Like, you know, if you when I was growing up, I watched Maury and I grew up watching, um, you know, their main people were there were African-Americans. And it was always about whose baby mama is it and the drama surrounding that and the kind of chaos involved in that. A lot of times you've seen criminals in 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 uh, uh, in the media. They highlight that they're black and everything like that. Or in movies, criminals will be black. Things like that. Um, even back from early film, I, I can't remember the name of this this movie. But when black people were depicted as um, these guys with big lips, and they 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 kind of dehumanized the way black people looked by saying they had large nose, big lips, to dehumanize them to um, I think make it easier to accept the fact that uh, black people were kind of being treated this way, kind of treated badly. So I, I, I believe the media's involvement is certainly a part of it. I don't think that we have enough media that kind of represents black people in a favorable light. I can't think of any, and, I, and I'm being serious. Most of the only one I can think is that show Scandal, and even that was dysfunctional because she was a mistress, right? So, you know, and she, you know, she had her own issues, but I, so... You know, I would raise that to you guys. Can you think of anything in the media that you've seen that hasn't shown black people negative light more often than not? You know, what do you think, Audrey or Sancho and Rev? Do you have you guys seen anything? I personally can't think of it. Um, I think bad boys, right? It. Is it bad boys like they're cool? <laughs> what you getting? Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Black cops. All right. So we have one. Well, Unless you say <laughs> one. I mean, he, going back to that, here's here's my. I don't know. You might. You guys might invalidate me or correct me, but here's how I see it, you know, as an as an outsider, you know, as a Filipino guy, Asian guy, looking out, looking in, you know, like an- analyzing this the whole situation. Here's like the bottom line, I think, you know, it might might be wrong, but the way I see it, you know, is it's it all boils down to slavery, you know. I think it all boils down to there. Like if you look at history, what 1865. That was what only about 150 years ago when the emancipation happened, and between that and now, it's a constant, uh, constant, and everything, constant, yeah. constant fight for African Americans for civil rights, and mm-hmm. you know it's really like it's, that's why it's kind of it's not funny, but it's like ironic or interesting in, in as an Asian guy because I feel like you know I'm not I'm not gonna be PC here. It's white versus black. That's kind of like the situation because. Whites used to be the master, black used to be the slaves, you know, back in just 200 years ago. And then when the blacks, African-Americans started becoming free, they started to gain more and more and more rights, which white folks, you know, their ancestors, you know, like they see them as property, you know. So I think a lot of this and it's 2020 now, a lot of these things is a natural progression of uh, residual, residual of of a. situations from the slavery days you know it's like you know what i mean like it, it's like you have a bottle of water and this but all the water that you have is the racist stuff from the slave days and then you try to unload it more and more and more and more water is going out of the bottle until there's like still a little bit of water left and i think that's what's happening right now in 2020 uh, that, that's just how i see it as an outside you know i'm not a party of interest because i'm not white i'm not black you know i'm an asian guy who's just like Oh, coming into this country, like oh, I thought it's all about NBA and stuff. Like, oh, what is this? You know, what I mean, like I'm learning all of this on the fly. It's like I didn't. This wasn't the thing in my country. In my country, it's more like poor versus rich, you know. And I think that's a correlation with the issue here. Whereas, you know, black is kind of like poor, white is kind of rich. 
you know, because we have the same police brutality in the Philippines, but instead of targeting black people, we're targeting poor people. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not even a color of skin thing; it's a social status thing. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, like a lot of white people started really high in the race because of their generational wealth. Well, black people are like the most disadvantaged. Is they have they have to start from being a property to where they are right now. You know, well, as for us Asians, we started as uh, we don't have the generational wealth as white people, and we didn't have all the rights as white people. But we we didn't start as slaves as property. You know, we came in as workers. You know, so it is. I think it is. Uh, I think that's like the bottom line for all of these issues. And a lot of people are frustrated. They are stressed. They are depressed with what's happening. But I actually think it's a good thing because it is part of the natural progression that hey. You know, back in the 60s, we need to have civil rights law. They got it. MLK got it passed. You know, John Lewis got it passed. Now in 2020, we might not have those laws, but it's just a matter of mentality of people. We, you know, it's like yeah. it's like you're cleaning a house of racism and you're like mm-hmm. spot cleaning it now. You know, so that's kind of yeah. how I see it. And I think it's it's a you know, it might be hard, it might be difficult, but it's 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 a good thing that this is happening rather than just being swept under the rug and forget about it. Right, so that's kind of you know what I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, if, Rev. Do you have anything to say or? Um. Go ahead. I can talk. After. Yeah. Um. I. So I actually watched um thir- the thirteenth documentary on Netflix. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I haven't seen um, it yet, but I'm I'm aware of it. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. Um, because it really shows, you know, the link there is between race, justice, and uh, mass incarceration in the U.S. Um, and it just shows how deeply rooted racism is, you know, and how hard it is to kind of extract it from. Um, you know, our laws. I mean, with, you know, Jim Crow that was enforcing racial uh, segregation. I mean, this, there, there's still some, you know, remnants of all of that. And it's definitely something that we need to change. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, the, the, and I'll let you speak, Rev, but I, to add to Audrey's point, um, the mass incarceration, it's a, the big thing about that is uh, it's profitable. So, yeah, at, you know, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at this as a race thing, but um, I mean, you know, people people are making a ton of money off keeping, you know, uh, uh, Africans, Americans in jail or even poor people in jail because of the profit that can come with it, because that is essentially because I do remember the basics of that documentary was these people, they go to jail and it definitely affects black people more than anything. And uh, they essentially have uh, they're in, uh, an indentured servitude. I think that's the phrase where essentially they have to work for like 50 cents a day. And uh, these these for profit uh, jails, they make a lot of money off these people, off these people's labor. So that became the new slavery. I think that was kind of the the thesis of that documentary or. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I I would I do I am curious about how much of it is now that we've moved people have moved on from it being racism and people are just listen we the black people have been held down in this position for as long as we have and we can still kind of massively police them in this kind of way because we know that 
the job is to get them arrested because there's a, there's a profit to be made from this. So I wonder how much of that is part of it as well, where where if it even is racism, where they're just like black people are bad, or is it more like we know we can exploit this uh, race and we can um, profit from it? Um, Rabbi, I'm curious as to what you think about that. I'm also curious about what do you think, because I asked a question to you guys earlier, what do you guys think about media's involvement? It, you know, I, I like I said, I made the point black dysfunction has been normalized in the media. And I've raised the question, where have you seen non-dysfunction showed anywhere? Sancho, you made the point of Bad Boys 2. I think that's a bad example, but we need an example. <laughs> so we have one for now. So what do we, you know, where else have, where else can you say we've seen that? And if we haven't, I think that's definitely a place where we need to really start if we want to kind of uh, change this whole thing. It's starting to change with the Wakanda, you know, with Black Panther and all those things, right? Like it's part True, of the Black evolution. Panther, Black Panther. I can't even believe I forgot about Black Panther. So that's two. Yeah. We have two. But uh, yeah, Reb, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. No, I, I'll make it quick. So I think, mm-hmm. Audrey, it's funny you brought that uh, Netflix movie up because that was actually what I was going to talk about. And so I'm looking at Google and the, some of the language in that. Uh, law was neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime. So essentially, slavery is permitted as long as you're you've been determined to be a criminal. Exactly. So to to kind of bring that point home, you know, it was systematically done to start to incarcerate black people because with the intent of continuing slavery. So I'll just end that point, and I think. Um, and stop there. So in terms of the media, I think you're right. I think you hit. I think you said it exactly the way it is. Right. Um, the media has um, monitorized the dysfunction of, of black families and black communities. Um, and to your point, I don't know a lot of um, movies or teleseries that are um, that show black people in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely think that. You know, if and so I one of the things I was thinking about with this whole thing is uh, how could we how could we how could we really and and we're going to wrap it up because uh, we have five minutes left. So, you know, I was thinking, how can we not, you know, and I think I do wonder if this is on the part of all of us, even someone like you, Sancho, who may not necessarily feel like this is your battle to fight. But how can we. And uh, how can we I'm not going to say necessarily end it because I don't I'm not certain you can end racism. Um, I think you can end at least how much it affects the group that's really that, you know, like in this case would be black people. How can you affect you can really change how much it can affect them, the people who are targeted in this situation. And I wonder if people realize like uh, like if they got together and they realized, you know, we won't see the end of it in our lifetime, but there's a possibility that we'll see the end of it in our children's lifetime where they still rise up to that same level. Because I think part of part of the reason why I appreciated this George Floyd situation so much and I didn't, you know, for all its horror, I do think the positive out of this is the new laws. There, there were reformations that came out of this. Um, I think one of the big things were the fact that uh, I, I can't remember which state it was, but police officers, there's no more no-knock entries for police officers with warrants. Um, there was a woman, a black woman, who was killed as a result of that, and I think that's a big deal, and I think that's a positive step in the right direction. But yeah. 
what I've noticed, or at least what I feel like, and maybe it's because I haven't seen as much in the media, but I feel like um, uh, it's lost its bit of steam. You know, maybe there's still protests, but where are the, the, the change in loss? Where are we still, where's the demand for that? And I wonder how much of it is because people are short-sighted in what this takes, right? Um, I mean, you know, Sancho, I think you brought up MLK earlier, and he had to die. And I think he was willing to die for this cause. And he had, you know, he didn't, he did not get to live to see the, uh, the, the fruit of his, of his uh, actions, right? Mm-hmm. Of all his work. So I wonder how much of it is, uh, you know, on us to decide. We, we, we won't see this change, but it can happen mm-hmm. if we make the effort now. And I think if, and that's why I was hoping when this whole George Floyd thing came out, I was hoping that there would be a leader, somebody to unite everyone and to make these points that we need to keep fighting for this. We cannot stop fighting for this because um, we can't keep letting George Floyd's happen to have a brief moment right. of uprising and rioting and looting. And, and you know, it's all separate discussion only for us to wear out a month later. And then we're back to it. Well, now, now we're waiting or now we're in fear of the next situation. So kind of just want to wrap it up on that, that, I definitely think if this is going to change, people need to understand that this is going to take multiple years and they may not see it in their lifetime. And that's a, that's a scary proposition, but it's something people need to accept. And I definitely think it's incumbent on all of us. Um, but uh, I think, Sancho, you had some last points you wanted or something you want to bring up. Oh, are we, talk, are we done now or talk about email now? Or is it done with the topic? Uh, I wanted to wrap it up there. I was hoping oh, okay. we'd be transitioning and bringing up the email, but uh, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think we're done. <laughs> yes, yes, we're done. That was a, that was great, by the way. That's I think we we all had amazing insights in this. You know, it is. I'm really excited what you know people are gonna think about what we're saying. And by the way, we said it's not my fight. I, it's still my fight too. I support racial equality. You know, right. it's just like I just couldn't. Uh, I'm just not as widely affected. You know, as yeah as an Asian person, you know, Asian minority. But I do believe, like I said, like what wrap it up, you know, what you're saying, is do believe that it's all up to us. It's a society thing. You know, it, at the of course the government's gonna play a role, but it's gonna be up to every single individual, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone in the whole wide world not to be racist. <laughs> I yeah. think we can edit that. Yeah, I think, you know, that, I think, I think that. And that, like Stone Cold would say, and that's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Well, well, real quick to add to that. Yeah, I think Sancho's right. It's it's not it's not it's not enough that we're not racist, right? It's an it's where we have where the at minimum we have to be anti-racist. We have yes, to be yeah. so dogged on picking up and checking that kind of behavior that that we disagree with. That's yeah. really how we kind of progress. I mean, I think culturally we are. We have certainly moved past. I, I definitely think more people, they're way less racist than they used to be. And racists are dying off, thank God. Um, and I think we'll definitely see a huge culture shift within the next 50 years. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I think I definitely think if we want to continue moving the right path, well, you do need to be anti-racist and it will be uncomfortable in some situations. But I do think that's at minimum necessary. And what you say, Sancho, Stone Cold would say that's the bottom line. Yeah, that's how, that's that's the thing. That's the bottom line. I was watching him today while eating dinner or lunch. Lunch, yes. Yeah, but uh, well, I was say like one last thing. Like maybe if aliens showed up, all of this will go away. Oh yeah, we're gonna be united. That's one human race, right? Exactly. I, mean, I don't know. 
I don't, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I always say we're all human. We all have the same organs. We have the same skull. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we just have to, to treat everyone with respect and human dignity. And yeah, that's it. That was a great podcast. So right now, we're pretty much going to end. But I want to let everyone know we created an email address. So it is actually publicdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to repeat that, publicdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com. So we will be, uh, anyone can email us, violent reactions, questions, <laughs> comments. And if you and want to be a guest, guess. let us know. Because we were thinking of in the future episodes, if we have emails, we're going to have a section where we're going to be answering your questions during our podcast here at Public Discourse. So thank you, everyone. I hope you have a nice night. And and thanks to Rev for being our awesome first guest. Yes. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> for our first guest. Thank you all. Thank you. Definitely Mr. appreciated your, your thoughts and your input. Yeah. And if we learn something today is we will all going to be not racist and love each other equally, regardless of the color of our skin. All right. Absolutely. Have a good night. Have a good day. Have a good morning. And... Bye-bye. Bye.